James chapter 5, okay? Uh, if you'd like to, you can stand, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, Then we're going to pray, ask God to, to move in our hearts and help us obey what we read, and then we are going to discuss this passage together. So James chapter 5, verses 7 and 11, through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, we ask you for a movement of your Holy Spirit. God, what we really want this morning, God, is more of you. God, what we really want is for you to draw us near and for you to stir our hearts in great joy over who you are and over what you've done and over what you will do, what you promised to do. God, we ask you to build up our faith and establish our hearts. God, we ask you to, to deal with our grumbling. God, to deal with our unbelief. And Father, we pray that you might bring repentance this morning, that you might bring faith this morning. God, we ask that you might move us forward. God, in loving and serving and trusting you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I just wonder, I want you to think for just a second. Um, just think about your own life. What, what does it take to rattle you, right? That, everybody's going to answer that a little different, right? Like, what does it take to, you know, what kind of adversity, what kind of opposition, what kind of... Uh, what kind of uh, harsh words or somebody being mean to you? How much of that, how much of that does it take for you to like come undone on the inside, all right? How, what does it take to rattle you? What does it take to unravel you, okay? Now, as you're thinking about that, and that's, uh, that's going to be different for each person in here, okay? Some people are making signs to me about how much, all right? And uh, I could actually answer that for some of you, but I'm not going to, okay? But how, how much does it take? But while you're thinking about that, I want you to consider what James says here to us through the, through the inspired Holy Spirit. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Okay? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So, so when you think about the word patient, okay? And actually, it's interesting. There's, there's actually two words in this, this passage for, for patience, okay? So the first one is in verse 7, and, and it actually means to be long-tempered, okay? So, so if you kind of think about everybody having a fuse, you know, like they've got a fuse coming out of them, you know, and, and some people have a long one, right? Like, like, man, they can, adversity hits them and, and tragedy and struggle and all red lights all the way to work and had a terrible time and, you know, one tire goes flat and, and you know, the engine blows out and whatever. Some people maintain a calm about them. They maintain an inner tranquility. It's like a, hey, 
I'm trusting the Lord in this. God is sovereign. You know, he, he'll take care of me. Okay, other people have a shorter fuse, right? Like other folks, it, it's, it's coming unraveled really quick, okay? And so this word patient means to have a long fuse, okay? It means to have like a, a, a tranquility, a restfulness, a forbearance in your own heart in the midst of adversity. And then the second word is down in verse 11, and it's the word steadfastness. It's, it's kind of the, the word of, of like, like buckling yourself down, you know, to endure something hard. So you got something hard coming at you, and, and you're, you're buckling yourself down, and you're not being moved. You're not being pushed away. You're not, you're not being bowled over, okay? So both those words are in this passage, and basically James is saying, guys, be patient, brothers. And then it's not just be patient for patience' sake. There's something really important at the end of that. Okay, be patient until the coming of the Lord, all right? Now, it's interesting, if you look at verse 7, 8, and 9, three times in those three verses does it reference the second coming of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And so you're being patient, okay? You're having this, I'm okay on the inside in the midst of adversity. You're having this, this long fuse. You're having this steadfastness to, to, to press ahead even against difficulty. That is all very much rooted in this reality that Jesus Christ is coming back, okay? Now, now really, when you think about it, we're all waiting for things, right? Like, like patience involves like you're, 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 you're bearing up under, you're waiting for something, and all of us are waiting for things. Some of you are waiting for justice, right? Some of you have been done wrong. Like people have done you wrong. You've had you've had bad things, you know, thrust upon you in your life. You've had painful things, and so you're waiting for justice. Others of you uh, on another end of the spectrum, you're waiting for reward, right? Like you've poured your life out for for your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors or or, or for a ministry or for the gospel. And man, you're you're looking for, you're waiting for this reward. Some of you maybe are waiting for healing, or maybe you're waiting for God's provision. And, and here's what I would tell you: I, I would tell you that. Some of that might come. Did you notice I said might? Some of that might come in this life. But here's the deal. All of that will come at the coming of the Lord, okay? And so for a believer, for those who are joined to Jesus, for those who are followers of Christ, for those who have been connected or tethered or joined to Jesus Christ, all of that is coming, okay? Every bit of that, every bit of your justice is coming. Every bit of your righteousness is coming. Every bit of, of Christ making right all the wrong stuff, do that is coming at the second appearing of Jesus Christ. All that he has promised fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, a complete healing, a resurrected body, God working all the painful, difficult details of our life out for good. That is all coming with Christ's return. It is coming magnificently and gloriously. It is coming. And so James says, you need to be patient Okay? You need to have this sense of okayness, this sense of tranquility, this sense of restfulness, this sense of trust in the midst of hard things because you're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, James said you need to be patient like a farmer. Okay? Our culture is talking a lot about farmers. There's a big debate about whether they're smart or not. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that. And uh, I don't know how to answer that. I know my grandpa, he only had an eighth grade education. Um, so there's a lot of things he definitely could not do. But I do know he could diagnose what was wrong with our combine about a half a mile away just by listening to it. I always thought he's pretty smart. But anyway, there's a big debate about that. And I don't think James is going to talk about that. But here's what he does say. A farmer knows how to wait. A farmer knows how to be patient. 
okay? You can't be a farmer if you can't be patient, okay? Now, you can own a McDonald's and not be patient, all right? Because when you own a McDonald's, you know what you do. You, about 7 o'clock in the morning, you've been open for two hours. You go over to the cash registers, and you open them all up, and you can see how much, you can see how much Jason and all the discipleship guys have spent there already, you know? Like, like you can do that. You can do that every hour, you know? You can, how much have we made, you know? How much have we made? You, you can see. If you're a farmer, it don't work that way. Man, it, you, got, you got to know how to be patient. Farmers battle a constant temptation to discouragement. There's a lot of times where it doesn't look like there's going to be a harvest. I, I can't tell you how many times my dad in the fall, he's like, man, I don't know. He's like, we may have to dust it in and just pray. You know, like there's not enough moisture for the seed to, to germinate. There's not enough moisture for this to come about. Like, I don't know that we're going to have a, like there's this constant threat of discouragement. And likewise, when you're spiritually farming, by the way, the Bible says that there's a spiritual type of farming. It, 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 it likens our investment in people, our sharing the word, our cultivating the seeds in our family, raising your children. It, it, it likens that to spiritual farming. And, and in the same way, there's a lot of similarities. In farming, there's a whole lot of waiting for the supernatural to happen. You know, it says in this verse, he says the farmer, what does he do? He's patient. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. Guess what? You can't control rain, you know? You can't. I know they do that thing about seeding the clouds and stuff. I just, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I I kind of think not, but it might work. I don't know. But, but I do know this, that, that for the most part, you cannot control rain, right? It just doesn't work. you gotta, you got to wait on it. you you got to look to the harvest, okay? And when there's no fruit or reward that comes immediately for the farmer, he's got he's to endure. He's got to be steadfast through sun and rain and drought and wind and insects and disease and hail and freeze and intense heat and flood. He, he knows all of those things are out of his control. And my friends, whether you would like to believe it or not, we got some control freaks in here. I know. I know who you are. You know who you are. Whether we'd like to believe it or not, you can't control your life. You can't control what people do. Uh, we'd like to, wouldn't we? If, we? if they just do what we said, we could just straighten this whole mess out, right? But they won't. They won't. They won't do what you say. You can't control people and what they do. You can't control your health. You can't control natural disasters. You can't control the fluctuation of the markets or the oil field or people's hard hearts or sin or opposition of the enemy. You cannot control those things. And so as a spiritual farmer, you must be patient, looking for, waiting for, persevering through with your eyes on the harvest. You got to long for the harvest. Here's what every farmer says. If he doesn't say this, then he's not going to be a farmer for long. He says the harvest is worth it. That's what he says. It's worth it. It's worth it. I don't know what you believe as a Christian, but I hope that you believe that the coming of Jesus Christ will be worth it. John MacArthur said something I actually believe. He said, um, he said the wealthier a Christian is and the easier his life, the less he longs for the coming of the Lord. But the more persecuted a believer is, and the more difficult his life, the more he longs for the coming of the Lord. And I started thinking about it. Is that true? And I've seen in India, I think it is true there. Um, man, those people want Jesus. They want him to come. They are looking for him to come. But then I started thinking, well, man, there's a whole lot of people in America, though, that are really caught up with the whole end time stuff. Man, they're, they're reading books about it and they're going to conferences about it. But here's what I would tell you. I, th I think it's possible to be 
caught up in being interested and curious about current events and not actually long for Jesus, okay? You know what 1 John 3, 3 says? It says that if we long for Jesus, let me, let me read this. Let me, let me start in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that's the second coming, when Jesus splits those skies, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you see what that says? Everyone who thus hopes in him, everybody who longs for the coming of Jesus, you know what that person does? Man, they, they act. They they get pure. Man, they start rooting sin out of their life and they start living righteously because that's what it means to love the second coming of Jesus, to look for the second coming of Jesus. So here's what I want us to do for the rest of our time. I want us just to think through what does it practically mean to be patient, okay? What does that mean to be patient until the coming of the Lord, to be patient in looking for the Lord's return? I think there's about four things in this passage that are really interesting in respect to what does it mean to be patient, okay? Number one, it means to establish your heart, okay? To establish your heart. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay? Now, the word establish your heart, it means like to strengthen, to bolt down, to um, gird up your heart. Okay? Now, what, what does that look like? All right? So, I looked this up in some other places where this word, establish, it's translated in different ways, but where it appears. Let me, let me give you some of the more interesting ones. Okay? Luke 9.51 is, is a passage about Jesus, and it's about when he decides, when he, when he knows that he's headed to Jerusalem, okay? Now, if you know the gospel, what happens to Jesus at Jerusalem? Well, he is, he is falsely accused, he is falsely tried, he is uh, tortured, he is put up on a cross, he hangs for six hours, and as he dies, God the Father places the filth and sin and transgression of you and I and every believer who's ever lived upon Jesus, and Jesus bears the wrath of God for that. God the Father turns away from him, and Jesus bears the wrath of God for your sin, okay? That, that's what's going to happen in Jerusalem, and Jesus knows that. And so in Luke 9, 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he said, his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the same word that James uses. That set his face, okay? So what, what does that mean? That means Jesus is like, all right, I know I'm walking into a hurricane. I know I'm walking in to, to adversity and struggle and pain and suffering beyond imagination, and I am resolving, I am establishing my heart that I'm walking that way. I will not be moved. I will not turn away. I will not bail out. That's what it means. And so when James says in verse 8, you also be patient, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord, what's he mean? He means, man, get your heart ready to endure some adversity. Get your heart established so that it's not moved. Let me show you a couple other places. 1 Thessalonians 3. There's two places here, so if you turn here, keep your finger there. So I'm going to start reading in the, at the first verse of chapter 3. Therefore, we, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Okay, did you hear that? He said, Paul says, we sent Timothy to your church in order to establish, there's that word, and exhort you in the faith so that you would not be moved by these afflictions. 
See, that, that's the danger of afflictions, right? As you're trucking along in the Christian life, you're like, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to be in my, my Bible. I'm going to be on mission. And then whammo, right? Here comes, the, here comes the wave. Whammo, here comes the adversity. Here comes the affliction. What happens to a lot of people? They get moved, right? They were going, they were, and they get moved. They get, they get taken off course. And, and so, so Paul says, man, we sent Timothy to you to establish and exhort your hearts in the faith, okay? Look down at the end of that chapter. Chapter 3, same, 1 Thessalonians 3, same, same chapter, verse 12. And may the Lord, this is a prayer, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, man, I'm praying for you that God would help you love one another. Love God and love one another so your hearts would be established. Why? So you wouldn't be moved. So you'd be ready when Christ returns. And so what, what, is it, what does it mean when, when James says, all right, be patient until the coming of the Lord and establish your heart? He means you need to root yourself into the word. You need to root yourself into the promises of God, into the, into the hope of the gospel, so that when the trial comes, you're holding on and, and you're, you're ready and you will not be moved. There's a, an illustration I'm going to use. It went badly in both services, but I'm not one to give up, okay? So, in the Lord of the Rings, anytime I use a movie reference, it always just falls apart. But in the Lord of the Rings, okay, there's, I don't remember what movie it is, I just remember this scene, but there's these tree creatures, okay? So picture trees that can talk and walk, all right? There's these tree creatures, and they're fighting these bad guys, right? Now, I think they're the orcs or whatever, they're the bad guys, right? And they're down in this valley, and they're having this big battle, and all of a sudden they tear open the dam. There's this huge dam. And man, this tidal wave of water washes through the valley and it just destroys all the bad guys, right? And these tree creatures, they got the good guys up in their branches. And you know what they do? They establish themselves, all right? They just root into the ground and they lower their branches and the tidal wave hits them. And as it washes over, they stand secure. Not a terrible illustration. Come on. It's a great movie. They're great movies. Gospel theme. Establish your hearts. If you're here today and you find yourself in the, your Christian life is always like this and boom and this and boom, you know, it, it goes and then, man, trial, you just get bowled over. You need to establish your heart. You need to root yourself into the promises of Jesus, into the coming of Jesus. He needs to be worth it to you. He needs to be worth it. Okay? Now, you're like, okay, okay, that's what it means to be patient. I can do that. You haven't seen number two yet, okay? <laughs> this one's going to sting, all right? What does it mean to be patient until the coming of the Lord? Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. If you're going to be patient, what does that imply? That implies difficult things, right? You can't be patient without difficult things. I mean, the, the implication there is there's tough things in your life. There's hardship, there's struggle, there's pain. And for a lot of people, grumbling is a gut reflex of difficulties. But here's the deal. Grumbling is not being patient. It's the opposite of patience. When, we, when you grumble against one another, it's because you're, you're not at rest in your heart. You're not okay in your heart. That's, that's why your heart's full of this, I'm not okay. Hey, this is not okay. It's not worth it. In a lot of ways, that's what grumbling says, is that 
Jesus, you will not make this worth it. I don't believe your promises. And my heart is full of that. And it's coming out of my mouth. And it comes out of my mouth in grumbling. You see, in many ways, grumbling is a sign that we're not trusting God. You know, you can either grumble against people or you can grumble against circumstances. But honestly, I think all of that, to some degree, is actually grumbling against the Lord. Would you agree with that? You know, I, I know we like to say, well, I ain't grumbling against the Lord. I'm grumbling against old so-and-so. He's a turd. You know, man, he makes me mad. He does all this. God doesn't make me mad. That guy makes me mad. I'm grumbling against him. Or, or I'm not grumbling against the Lord. I'm grumbling against the economy. I'm grumbling against that political party. I'm grumbling against the government. But ultimately, when your heart is not at rest, when, when you're not fixed eyes right on the coming of Jesus Christ who's going to make everything right, you're, when you're overflowing with this discontent and this unrest, a lot of times it's because you're not trusting God. The harvest is not worth it to you. It's not real to you. Notice what he says. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, the reality is you and I are going to bear an account for every, every careless word that we say. That's in the scriptures. There, there's going to be a judgment for believers. If you're, if you're a Christian here today, if you're joined to Jesus, then not, it won't be a judgment as far as heaven and hell, but it'll be a judgment upon your life. Like, what did you do with the life that God gave you? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 takes that even further. It says in verse 13, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Man, all of your life is going to be laid out. It's going to be laid out. And if you're like, I, don't, I won't care, as long as I make it, as long as I squeak into heaven, I guarantee you'll care. I just guarantee you right now, you will care. You care what happens to you now. Why wouldn't you care what happens for an eternity? You care about reward now. You care about what you're going to have for lunch. Some of you have deep convictions about that. You're telling me you're not going to care about, about the state and condition of your soul for an eternity? You will care. So what's he say? He says the judge is at the door. All right, so he, well, here's what he pictures. He pictures believers. They're believers, and they're supposed to be hoping in this coming of the Lord that's going to fix everything, that's going to be, be our dreams come true, that's going to be all of God's promises, man, happening, right? And, and we're supposed to be doing that, but instead we're, we're discontent about everything, and we're, we're attacking each other. We're grumbling about so-and-so and what they did, and I can't believe them. Why are they in our small group? And, but, you know, and here's, what, here's what James says. Man, don't you realize the judge is at the door? He's at the door. It's near. Jesus, right outside the door. I know Pastor Daniel is the one that's teaching the parenting class. I hope you guys got to go to that, by the way. Man, I looked at what he was, what he was doing. Man, it looks fantastic. That was in Sunday school. If you miss it this week, man, you better be back next week. Man, get, get a part of that. It's fantastic. But I, I want to give you a parenting tip that is not in Pastor Dan's class, okay? This is not in his class. This is, this is a Dirk's tip here. You're not going to read this in any book. 
okay? This is, this is free stuff here, okay? So whenever you know that your kids are doing something wrong, okay, you just have a sense about it, you know what I'm talking about, you know? Like I used to, when Hannah and Addie, my oldest, were, were little, I, I just knew that Hannah's going to bully Addie. I knew that they were going to bicker, you know. Hadn't, I knew he's going to be at it with everybody. Like, so whenever they'd be in their room and the door be closed, and I'd know probably something was going on, here's, here's what you do. Parents, don't just walk in and see what's going on. No, you sneak over and you listen at the door for a while, okay? <laughs> Parenting tip, Dirk's tip here, okay, ready? You listen at the door for a while, and what you do then is you accumulate evidence, Okay? So, so once, you, once you hear things that ought not be happening, just hold up. Be patient, okay? Just go ahead and accumulate more and more evidence, okay? And then at some point, you're going to go in, okay? You're gonna, and when you go in, another tip, a lot of people miss this. Don't, don't do that. It's your house, all right? When you go in, man, you go in with the wrath and fury of God Almighty. You know, you take that door, you get set, get yourself planted firmly, and you come in, what's going on? You know, you come in like that, man, sling that door, bounce off the wall, you know. I mean, what you want to do is put the fear into them, right? You want to put, and then you say, I heard what you were saying, and you start administering appropriate discipline, okay? Yeah, what you want to do is you want, you want him to always wonder, is dad listening, you know? Like, like I, what I always aim to be is I wanted them when they went out when they're 16 and they're in the car together and, you know, some, somebody suggests something or old boy grabs, grabs her hand. Or I want him just to expect the door to fling open at any moment, you know? Wrath coming in. That, that, that's a Dirk's tip there. But here, all right, that doesn't have anything to do with this. What, what, what this is saying, though, is that when you're grumbling against a brother, you ought to expect the Lord is at the door. Like, that's in the Bible. He's, he's right there. He's listening. Sometimes it's unfathomable how we as believers who say that we believe all this and can still act like this. And in view of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means he could return at any moment. Talked with my team kid boys this week. We had fifth, sixth grade boys, and I had my, we split them up. We divide and conquer. And I was talking to them about the parable of the talents, you know, that, man, the Lord is coming back, and he's going to hold you accountable for what you did with what you're given. Man, sometimes it's crazy what we find ourselves doing in view of the fact that Jesus Christ could return at any moment, that he could be at the door. Husband and wife. Maybe they're really ticked off at each other. That happens, not in my family, but I've heard it does in you guys. Really mad at each other. It's usually, it's usually about like the checkbook or, you know, something about the t-ball coach at the game or somebody disciplined and I didn't think you should have done that. I thought you should have done this. Or maybe some harsh criticism that was fired off in a weak moment. And so you got this, this cold standoff in the house and you got words being spoken to one another out of this grumbling spirit, out of this discontent, out of this, you know, griping about, about you and about this and about that. And just, just imagine, that, that's going to happen, okay? This, is, this scenario will happen someday. That's going to happen right as the Lord returns. Just imagine husband and wife bickering, harsh words, grumbling against each other, and it happens 
Jesus Christ splits the skies. Man, he splits the skies. And there they are. Revelation tells us the army of angels in white linen, on white horses in Christ, leading them out of the heavens, sword drawn, slaying the nations with the word of his mouth. On his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords, his robe dipped in blood. And the believers being raptured, being, being caught up, First Thessalonians 4 says, caught up in the air, being, being rocketed into the air to meet Jesus Christ, immediately being transformed in a husband and a wife who've been bickering against each other. And there, there they are, transformed, you know, up into the air. Husband looks over at his wife, her face aglow, ablaze with the glory of Jesus Christ. And he looks at her and he says, woman, this is not over. We're going to talk about this at the gate. I really think some of you are going to do that. It's embarrassing. Jesus probably just drop you out right there. You just fall back down. Cold War standoff over $30 charge on the credit card in view of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In view of the souls of your children and your family and your neighbors, in view of the mission of God, in view of the reality that you will give an account for your one life that Jesus bought for you. You still going to grumble? You still going to grumble? Israel did. Man, you ever read Exodus? God, they're slaves. The Israelite mamas were having their babies their baby boys taken from them and drowned in the Nile. They're in indentured servitude. They cannot get out. And God comes in and through 10 of the most miraculous plagues the world's ever seen, God delivers them out, brings them to the Red Sea. They're caught in. Egyptian army behind them. God parts the sea and brings them through. Brings the waters back in, destroys the Egyptian army. They're headed to the promised land. They don't get but a day or two out. And the menu's not what they thought it'd be, and water seems a little scarce. What do they do? They begin to bicker against each other. Remember how they griped against Moses? What'd you bring us out here for? Moses, what'd you bring us out? Man, we really had it made in Egypt. Oh, you did? Really? We're remembering that differently. Man, we sat by the pots of me. Now, you, what'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? What was the deal? What did God say over and over again? They don't believe. They don't believe. You see, when we find ourselves grumbling, when we find ourselves bickering against others or against God, at the heart of that is that, that we have a faith problem. We have a faith problem in seeing the harvest that's coming and seeing the, the glory that's coming with Christ. Number one, establish your hearts. Number two, don't grumble. Number three, we'll go quickly here. Number three, keep working. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. One, the thing I want to point out to you here is you got, you got these prophets. Let's just pick a couple. Jeremiah. Jeremiah has the worst job in the Bible, okay? He's got, he's got a, a message he's got to deliver to Israel that every person that hears it is going to hate, okay? And Jeremiah has to deliver it over and over and over again. And the more he delivers it, the more they mistreat him. 
They, at one point, they, they throw him into a well, into this muck in which he's going to die in there. And they try, his friends try to get him out, and they have a hard time getting him out. They're going to pull him in two because he's just stuck in this muck. You know what I mean? Like horrible things happen to Jeremiah. Hosea, how'd you, how'd you like to be that guy? Man, God, God leads him to marry this adulterous wife who continues to commit adultery on him, all, all to show Israel how, how horrid their sin is to God. And what does it say about these guys? I, I just want to point out this thing, okay? It says this about them. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Do you see that being patient does not mean you don't do anything? Being patient means you, 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 get, on, you get to work. The, these prophets were enduring suffering. All the while, they were speaking the truth of God. You see, being patient means you continue with the work. And then finally, being patient means you have a long view of things. This is hard for us, but look, look at 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You guys remember Job, right? I don't, I don't know what painful thing you have going on in your life, and, and I do not in any way want to discount that. Um, there are some painful, painful things that happen in this world. But I want you to see that Job, he had that tenfold. He lost all of his children in this terrible way. He lost his business. He lost his money. He lost his possessions. He lost, he lost everything. He lost his health. He was stricken with a cruel and painful disease. And Job grappled with all of that. But, but what, what James is saying, I want you to consider his steadfastness. Let me read you some passages from the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. Did you hear that? And he worshiped. Honestly, it's, it's a challenge for a lot of Americans to sing on Sunday morning when everything is awesome. And he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job 19, 25. These are just my favorites. For I know that my Redeemer lives... And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And in the midst of incredible pain and suffering, what's, where's Job? I know my Redeemer lives. Even if he slays me, I'll still trust him. I'll still hope in him. And, and here's what James says. James says, don't you see that we say these men are blessed? You see that in verse 11? Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Who among us would say of Job that he blew it? You know? Who would say, man, Job, you should just give up. You should just curse God. That's what his wife told him to do right from the beginning. Why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just be mad at God? Why don't you just give up your hope? Is that what he should have done? There's not one of us in this room that would say that's what Job should have done. Not if you know the whole story. Not, not if you know what God did in, in, in the end for Job and how he restored him. How about Paul? Man, here's a guy who was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and, and imprisoned. 
You know, why, why didn't that guy just quit at the beginning and, and buy a little piece of property on the Mediterranean and open up an ice cream shop, you know? Stop preaching the gospel. Paul, you're just bringing, you're just bringing pain. Do, is that what we say about Paul? No. How about Jesus? Do we say, you know what, Jesus? Why, why'd you even go to Jerusalem? Why, you know, you knew that was happening. Why, why didn't you just turn around and go the other way? Man, you can walk on water. You could have gone anywhere. Now, I think we would all look at those people and say, thank you, Lord, for their perseverance. Thank you for their patience. You know why? Look here at the last verse. Verse 11. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen, you see it? You've seen the purpose of the Lord. That's key right there. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. You see, you know why we say those guys are blessed? Because we know what God was doing in Job, don't we? We know the whole book of Job is really about Satan saying, hey, those Christians, they won't worship you if you take away their goodies. You take away their blessings, they'll curse you. God's like, no, no, they won't. And the whole book of Job proves that Job loves God. We, we, we don't say Paul was, was an idiot. You know, we, we say he was blessed. Why? Because we, we see the purpose of the Lord. We see what God did through Paul's life. We don't say Jesus made the wrong decision. No, we, we worship the reality that he redeemed us through his suffering. And so here's what I would ask you. What about the purpose of the Lord for you? What about that for you? It's easier looking back, but... But James is saying, man, consider that those men we consider blessed and, and consider that you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and how the Lord is merciful. Maybe you're struggling with God's purpose for you. I bet there's somebody in here who is, surely, right? You're struggling with this season in your life with maybe the struggles that you're enduring. And, and I, would, I would encourage you to, to consider the purpose of the Lord. And then you're like, well, I don't know what he's doing. Okay, well, how about the last part of that verse? That the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I believe that. Sometimes it's hard, but I do believe it. I believe the, the Lord abounds in compassion and mercy. And I, I, I believe, guys, that he's working all things out for good. So I think we can trust him. I think we can be patient until the coming of the Lord. We can establish our hearts. We can not grumble. We can, we can have the long view. We can see the purpose of the Lord. And we can stay at work. Because the Lord is at hand. Guys, He's at hand. He's coming. He is coming. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray, God, that you would give us hope this morning in your second coming. Father, establish our hearts. God, help us to root our hearts deeply in this reality that you will not let us down, in this reality that your purpose will be accomplished, in this reality that you are compassionate and you are merciful. Father, establish our hearts. God, I pray that you give patience and perseverance and steadfastness to those who are in the middle of a storm this morning, those who are enduring a, a hardship, a painful season in their life, God, give them, give them steadfastness. Give them patience. Give them rest in their hearts as they, 
as they establish their hearts and as they endure this affliction. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please? Let's sing together.